You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. <gasps> No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hi, I'm Tanya Pinkins, and you're listening to You Can't Say That on the Broadway Podcast Network. you're wondering why I haven't been podcasting for a while, it's because I was making a movie and getting it distributed and writing the book, Red Pill Unmasked, which is available on Amazon, and you can listen to me narrate it on Audible. And also, we've just released The Red Pill Game. It takes place in the future when the red pills have taken over, and you can try it and see if you can survive a world of red pills. So I've come back to podcasting, and it's rather fortuitous, ironic, I don't know what the word for it is, um, that the person I am speaking with today is someone who, you know, in a certain way has something to do with my being a filmmaker now. Um, He is a playwright. He is a television writer, a television producer. He um, produced on the Golden Globe nominated, um, oh God, I'm not going to remember the name of it, Jane. So help me. No, he's not going to help me. Okay, but he's currently producing on The Promised Land, which I had an opportunity to watch the pilot of today. And I met him a few years back in the New York theater and I directed a play of his, a one act play of his called Artistic New Directions. And I adapted it to a short film and directed it and it won some festivals. And, you know, he's gotten very famous now, so I haven't really talked to him much. So let me welcome Chris Pena so I can just get in his ass. And he's just gotten too famous, too big for his britches. Hey, Chris. I can never get too big for you, kidding? You are the like iconic legend. So I'm just trying to like keep up with you to to enter this space. So where are you living now, Chris? 
Well, I am currently in the moment right now talking to you from Harlem, uh, but I have been in LA mostly for the last, not only just work-wise for the last couple of years, but the pandemic, uh, which we don't need to talk about. Um, but I've been there mostly because, as I'm sure will be part of our conversation, something you know is um, it is difficult for or challenging for people of color to get opportunities and work. Uh, and right now there is much more opportunity for people like me in Hollywood than there is in New York. Why is there more opportunity right now? Uh, I, 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 you know, I like many people and I think like you, I think that the entertainment business has been really racist for, for a long time. Uh, it continues to be. And I think that, we have all people this last two years have been acting all woke like they just discovered that our business is racism uh but we've known this for a long time and we've been talking about it for a long time you can google interviews from 10 years ago where the same 20 people have been in the same room talking about the same shit. um but i think the difference is new york has less money and less opportunity and uh is less smart about business and uh, Hollywood, I think, actually cares less about, about uh, the racism, about the um, about people of color, but they do care about money. And so if they think that people of color will bring them money, they will chase that money. And so because of that, they have been creating more opportunities for us. Now, you also wrote on a show that I don't know if it's even coming back. I loved it. Was it like Mother something Motherland. Salem? I love that show. Is that show coming back? Yeah, Motherland of Fort Salem. They did three seasons. Um, they're currently, I think they just finished, or they're shooting their final season, which is season three. So you will get, but it, but they knew that going in, so you'll get a full circle. Um, and that, you know, I, I gotta tell you, that show, I worked on the first season. I loved it. I loved the writers. I loved the cast. Uh, but most of the room did not come back for that room, for that um, TV show. Um there's a lot of drama on that show. So I will just say that the most of the women and people of color, anybody with a little bit of power, chose not to come back to that room uh, because it was a complicated place to work. Yeah, I find that being of color, being a woman, being anything that's not, you know, white, male, hetero, Christian is complicated because not being that means you have to be better, more knowledgeable about everything. And so you're always going into rooms where people who aren't as knowledgeable or experienced are your bosses. And you're having to, you know, gauge how much can I say? And you're having to always sort of pretend you don't know and get you like, no, you need to say what needs to be said. And it's just, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's something I can't navigate anymore. I know we're constantly policing ourselves and constantly having to code switch and constantly, and you never know who's on your side. You know, you never know who really, you know, believes what they're saying, who's going to betray you. It's very Shakespearean in that way. Um, so I've taken to just being, what I do now is I'm very upfront, at least on Facebook, people read it. So I'm not like, you know, lying. Um, and I talk about, the institution, that is a problem, you know, that's a bigger thing, and I'm very honest about those problems. I don't tend to ever talk about a specific writer or artist. I mean, there are a lot of people in our business who I find problematic, but I tend to very rarely single them out because then it feels more personal and it's easier for people to sort of smokescreen the real issue. Um, so I tend to talk about the organizational issues first and foremost, but 
the reality is those organizations are led by people and there's people in those rooms. And so it's very easy to figure out who the problem is, you know? Um, I will tell you one of the things, and you've been, you've been doing this for a long time. One of the things that really has broken my heart is being part of a generation of young artists, being in the room with them, talking about our challenges, talking about the, the racism, talking about the accessibility and the resources, and watching them all shake their heads and be like, yes, I'm with you. And then now being at that age where a lot of them are taking over theaters or had founded their own sort of um, producing organizations, and then watching actually that when it comes to their actual um, what they do, right, what they produce, what they put their money into, it looks exactly like it did 10 years ago. Uh, and I, and part of me is like, but you know, so now like, now it's not uh, an accident. Now it's not a blind spot. You know, now it's a choice. Um, I, th- I think a lot of those people would say it's not a choice or they're, they're not aware of it, but it's like, what are you talking about? We've been talking about it for years. You've been in the room with me. So either you're being willfully ignorant or stupid. Yeah, I think there's a lot of willful ignorance in, in our business. Well, nobody wants to be, nobody wants to say that they're the problem. It's it's easy for them to point at everyone else. But uh, that's, you know, we talk about this a lot, especially with, with the latest, I wonder if I said the movement, the latest movement happened a couple years ago um, with BLM. It was just such, um, you know, there were so many Karens, you know, everybody, everybody that you tried to sort of, point at them or not point at them, but involve them to the conversation and say, you've been doing the same thing. Suddenly we're bullies and they're victims and we're the bad guy. I've just decided that anything that a human being is capable of being, I am capable of being it. So call me any name you want to call me. Yes, I'm that. I'm all of it. Yeah. I mean, true. I mean, truly the, and it's also, listen, when I write plays, a lot of the times what I write about isn't why are Latinos or people of color or queers or immigrants victims? Um, I like to talk about what we struggle with, but I also like to talk about how we are complicit in our own struggle and how we are our own worst enemy, right? Because we also, you know, Latinos um, on one side are being... Are well, being like you're white, like you're designated as white on the census. Right. No, it is. It is, which is I find really problematic, but it's like Latinos can be oppressed by white um, white Americans, but the minute that they feel that they're white in power, they'll turn and oppress other people of color, right? So, like, that's what we're all sort of complicit in different ways. Um, and, and I'm interested in that. It's I, I will say, and I, I wonder if you've, you've talked about this at all, I've been really, and I have not said this, I've said this in private, I've never said it in public, because it feels like one of the other issues about um, the conversations we're having right now is that people are not being nuanced, and that everybody wants to be right. And so instead of, like, if I say something on Facebook, seven people will tell me why I'm wrong as opposed to, like, actually, you know, and I'm the enemy as opposed to, like, here's what I'm actually talking about. So one of the things I've been really interested in is the conversation in the last, in the last two years uh, about Black sort of victimization in this country and Black lives versus equity and diversity in the theater. And I think somehow those conversations became one. But there was never sort of an acknowledgement. Like if everybody said to me, hey, I really want to talk about the opportunities that Black artists have received in the theater scene. I'm like, that's great. But what I have found is that people talk about um, 
people of color and what they really mean is black people. So, and, 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 what I, and, and as an example, in the last two years, have you seen 12 new Latino plays get added to the seasons? Have you seen 12 new Latino directors? Can you name five new Latino playwrights or Middle Eastern writers or Asian writers? And it seems- no, yeah. but let me just say this. Yeah. You know, I wrote this essay uh, on Medium two years ago, why I'm fed up with performative activism from black and white theater makers. And I'm told that it is required reading at many universities. Yale Drama School made it required reading. And I thought, wow, that's really fascinating. And many, many white directors called me to tell me how much they understood it. And I had to point out to them how they had done the things. And they're like, what? I, I, I. You know, because I'm just at a point in my life where I can be really honest. So for me, when I looked at what this season looked like with all those black people, quite frankly, my attitude was, this was like, just shut them niggas up and give them a show and let them go in. Let's see if they live. And if they die, then we won't start our shows. But if they go and they survive, then we'll bring our Hugh Jackmans and our Sutton Fosters in. And what do we give them? Two minutes? They got eight weeks and they can say they had a Broadway show, but we didn't take the time building up the audience for them, really supporting them. But we could say it was the most black theater in 40 years, but not really. Yeah, I agree with that. I know, I, I 100% agree with all of that. And I do also feel like uh, the the argument that I'm that I am making is also that I just felt like everybody was like, look, we solved it. We solved equity and diversity in the theater, and it's like you didn't do anything. You didn't do anything. And and truly, uh, if you had thought, if you had even tried to work at it, then you would have realized that equity and diversity in theater is not just one group of people, right? And but you, but I think I hear, I hear your version of it, which is they just wanted to shut black people up, and I and I and I believe that a lot of that was that as well. Like, are you all happy now? Are you happy now? And I think many people were happy because I don't think they were really looking at a vision for a world that looks better. They just wanted access and they had an opportunity to complain and they got their access. And now people are like, are we done with that? Okay, let's move on to doing what we do. Yeah, 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 yeah. I hear that. I, I agree with that. So yeah, it's, I don't know. Uh, I feel, I feel sad. I feel angry. I feel frustrated. I'm, you know. Yeah, but come on, like, the Latinos, you all got so many people, so many countries. You got like a market, like the, the South Asians. You got market. You got people. You can make stuff happen. I mean, Lynn Manuel uh, in the Heights. That was community supported. Made that happen. I don't feel like my community does that for one another. But I'm not going to blame my community. I'm going to say that. The systematic anti-blackness means that even if we did, there are systems in place to just shut down whatever we do. Sure. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's 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 remarkable how ingrained into how we've been built, right? Like we don't even know sometimes that it's there, you know, that it's right in front of us. It's that's so tricky. Um, I, you know, the Latino thing. I, I mean, listen, I don't know the real answer, but I think part of the problem that we're talking about is that uh, everybody thinks that we're one thing. Right, and the, the fact and is, not. no, we're and different cultures. We're different cultures. We're different countries. We're different languages. Some of us want to be here. Some of us don't want to be here. Some of us were forced here. You know, and I think that uh, a lot of times Latinos are so focused on their own or interested in their own story that they're not supporting the other Latinos. Right? It's like I think that a lot of the Mexican stories don't re- don't resonate with Cuban stories. They have such 
different baggage about what it means to be American, right? And so I think that's the problem is that we can we we can we so much so much uh, disparity and, and breakup that there's it's hard to unify people. And I have a question about this, and then it's something I'm trying to keep in my mind to remember to say. I feel like in America, because we're just some of the dumbest people on the planet, we assume that the people who cross the Mexican border are Mexicans, and they're not. They're coming from other countries that our drug wars and, and American policy has forced these people out of their home, and they have had to walk across continents and through Mexico to enter the country. What do you think about that? Well, I, I think at the end of the day, the very first thing that I will just say is like, you know, I, I've and I'm not Mexican or Cuban, so and, and this is about pointing because I think Hondurans do this too. But it's interesting to me, you know, that Cubans so want to distance themselves from Mexicans because they're like they they look at Mexicans as less than because they're desperately trying to cross the border and they're not wanted here. But Mexicans Whereas, aren't trying to cross the border. More U.S. people move to Mexico than Mexicans come to America. Statistically, that is not true. I mean, sure. Those narratives aren't being shared, right? Like people don't. The the vast, the most of the country doesn't know that narrative. Most of the country. Yeah, but that's being told. a fact. So I don't even deal with what stupid people think. I'm like, the fact is, there are more Americans moving to Mexico than Mexicans trying to move here. Are there people from Central and South America trying to get here? Yes, but that's not Mexicans. I agree with you, but it's hard to unpack the reality because you're right. I don't believe I know the truth, but like that's not what the country is living. With. Right, the country, and also, do you think do you think most people, even in California, know the difference between like a Mexican and a Honduran, and you know all, all the different countries? They think they think everyone is a Mexican. They, you know, I know I, that's the terrible thing. I grew up in California, and I was asked when I was younger if I spoke Mexican, and that was earnest, you know. And I was like, Mexican's not a language, bro. But so it's like for us, we're having intellectual conversations at this level that are real and based on facts, but like. How do we how do we get everyone else on board when they're when they're in a different you know? I, I I'm not trying to get them on board. I've I've decided I, I can't I can't speak down to people. I just can't. I won't speak down to them. I'm like catch up, catch up, catch up. There's something really good here. Catch up, and if you miss it, oh well, it's not for you. Go go be a lemming. Yeah, that's why I've always loved Christopher because you know he always said he's not going to write down to people. You know he's going to write up to people, and I was respecting that. Who you know. who said that? Kushner. Tony Tony Kushner. Yeah, he doesn't write down. No, his language is dead, so it's hard, and he's like, he expects people to show up and, and do the work. Yeah, and I think people are capable of doing the work. They are. Like, you I just have to give an opportunity. By, by human design, I think that we are fantastic by human design, but this the life of convenience and the stress of life and picking all the places where we don't have to think and be convenient makes us pray to that. Yeah. I mean, as a TV writer, I mean, half the time that we're writing, we're trying to write really complicated, complex, uh, ask tough questions, and we get the network back, and they're like, "Middle America is not going to understand this. Change this, make it." And you're like, "I, I just what?" And they want you to constantly explain over and over and over. And I'm like, "This is the dumbing down of America. We are part of the problem, and there's only so much I can do because I'm, you know, they're paying me. I'm not the one in charge. At least not now." But it is it is interesting to watch it happen to continually dumb down. And so of course people don't know anything. They're not their brains are not being challenged. 
Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChumbaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Well, I think, you know, when we're talking about what are the networks doing, what is Hollywood doing, you know, that's they're all the propaganda machines and they're selling something and they're selling dumb. I don't think we really are that dumb, but that is what they're selling. And they're selling that worldwide because it makes the money. Yeah. 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 And, and I mean, nobody, most people don't want to be challenged, right? That's the reality. I think that poor people are challenged every day <laughs> and they're probably the smartest people because their life and survival depends on knowing, you know, what they can do, what they can't get away with and how to survive. Like that's what I think. I've always been interested in how education is so scary to so many people of color and so many poor people that like so many people have been trained that education is bad. Uh, and that is like, it, I, you know, I find that really. Well, tell me more about that because I've really been thinking a lot about education. What, who's been trained that education is bad? Where are you getting that? Where, I think the communities as a whole, I mean, listen, if you, if you are these Trumpers, for instance, like they don't know their own history. Right? They don't really know. Like, you, you ask them about amendments or the Constitution, they don't know what anything is. You know, they just know what like, Fox News is telling them. And you can stay there in front of them and explain to them basic science, and they will disagree with you. And it's like you barely graduated high school and you think you know more science than a fucking scientist, you know? And so, why are they, why are they so afraid to say, I don't, I, like, that's bad? I think they've been bred to believe that people who are educated, people have money, people who um, are from that access world are destroying their lives or the reason that they're poor. So I think instead of interrogating that, they are like, we don't trust those people. Those people are bad. And therefore everything that comes out of our mouths is bad too. Um, But I think that's, and, and also religion, you know? So here's where I am about that education piece. In the last year and a half, two years, I have realized how much, I was lied to throughout most of my education and that most of the books I read were written by people who were lied to so that now every time I read anything, I'm suspicious. I don't trust it. I'm reading with a Google and a checking and multiple checks and going down millions of rabbit holes as I read everything. Cause I'm like, I don't know. And a really great example of how all of us have not been educated is that I was on Karen Hunter's show a couple of weeks ago and David Pepper, who was the former head of the Democratic National Convention in Ohio, National Committee in Ohio was on. Uh, David Pepper is a Yale undergrad and a Yale law school. 
and his major at Yale was history. And what David Pepper was on fire about is the fact that he had never learned in his entire undergraduate degree history education that there had been representative democracy with black people in every aspect of, of government during reconstruction. He never learned that in Yale. And I'm like, oh, so it's not just, I got a bad education. There is some conspiracy somewhere that they're just certain stories they don't even want the elite to know. Yeah, I, I, I mean, sort of pushback I'll say to you is that I don't agree with everything you just said. The difference is that you are smart enough because even if some, even if a lot or much or most or whatever the amount you want to say of your education is wrong or slightly a shift or whatever, you are still an educated enough person to come now and do the work and realize that and go take it apart and figure it out. And I think that a lot of people don't even get to, oh, my education is wrong, you know? And I think to, to some degree, you have to be educated enough to, to figure that out. But you have to have the leisure and the luxury to be able to do that. Like if you're struggling to survive, you don't have time to be figuring like, oh my God, I'm so dumb. And it's like, once you know that you don't know, what are you going to do about it when you still got to show up at that job and knock those bills in every day? Or also you just, I mean, the reality is at that, at any level, you just know as much as you need to know to survive, right? Or to, to keep going. So, so then what do you do? I mean, it's like, of course people are going to be trapped in their spots if they don't have the opportunity to figure out that they're, they're being locked in, that, they, that they, you know, been imprisoned. Um, and I think this is true for a lot, for a lot of us, you know? So I read your Facebook post about how excited you are about your new show. So besides what you said on Facebook, like, cause you, you know, what I mean? this is what I'm going to say, I, I'm, I'm, you, know, you can't say that. And I say anything and everything on the show. I will tell you that the Latin, La, Latino people, Latinx, I don't know what the right word is. I can't keep up with the words that no, are changing. Girl, same. I, I get told by not a lot of people what I should be saying, please. <laughs> but the people that I know who were raised in what is often called Hispanic or Latino culture who were upper class, I have found that many of them were raised with a better uh, skill set of saying what needs to be said and code switching than sometimes I feel I got as a black person. And I think you are very good at that. Like one of my friends, a Latina woman, Bolivian, she was saying school was like, she don't even know what school was because her parents taught her, this is what you say, this is what you do, and you just know how to take people. Like, I feel like I learned that at a certain point, take a teacher, which made me question whether I was even smart because all I was doing was telling the teachers what they needed to do. And then it was like, I couldn't keep doing that because I had to find out who I was. So my question, is this show what you've been wanting? I mean, I'm sure you have your own shows that you want to do. You are both a writer and a producer on this show, what does it mean to you to get to be there? So, so the, I'll share two things uh, the, the first, which is, um, you know, I've written for cable most of my life uh, because I think you can get away with and say more complex things on cable. So I will say, and I mean this wholeheartedly, I love this show. I love it so much. Um, it, it represents everything that I want to happen on broadcast TV, right? So like, it is the best of what I want broadcast TV. Um, one of the things that has that the re, there are many reasons why I love the show. One, it was created by a Latino writer. It is our room was uh, one, two, three, four, 
six Latino writers and one white writer. That has never happened to me. I've never been in a room with that many Latinos. Um, I really believe that we want to tell as many narratives. There's no one narrative, right? I, I don't think it's my responsibility to tell the story of Latino people. It is, it is too much. I can only tell you my story. And that story is authentic Latino because I am Latino and I've lived a Latino life, whatever that means. But one thing that I have really fought for in the entertainment business is all the stories, most of the stories of Latino uh, on Latino TV are about poor Latinos, uneducated Latinos, Latinos who are struggling, um, Latinos who are undocumented. You know, on Jane the Virgin, Jane took the bus everywhere. She didn't afford her own car. Uh, one day at a time, the grandma lives in the living room. Uh, you know, all these people are struggling and why can't we have struggle without poverty why can't we have uh struggle and 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 be legally here and educated i'm not saying those stories do not have value i'm not sorry they're saying they're not necessary i'm saying that cannot be the only story right and if we say that we look to tv as as something aspirational something that can give us hope well then why aren't we giving latino people that you know, and so for me, this show was really exciting to me. I'll tell you. So, I, my agent sent it to me. I initially said no because because uh, of the, the title. They're like, read it. The first five pages, it's like Mexicans crossing the border, littered the border, talking about their dreams. I and I told my boss this. I was like, fuck this. I'm, this is like literally what I refuse to do. I'm not going to do this anymore. And my agents were like, just read the whole thing. And then I read the whole thing, and as you know now, there's a big reveal, which is that there are two timelines, and that actually these Latinos become this empire. That really spoke to me because as much as people, you know, I, I do look white, I, you know, I do have a lot of um, access and resources. The fact is, my mom and dad were Latino immigrants. My, we were very poor when I was a kid, you know. I was in ESL classes. People think my mom is my maid. She's so dark. And she has an accent. And my dad has an accent. My dad was a janitor. He's... Yes, no, but that's the point. But it's like, but it's not, he didn't show up to, but the point is, I think, he didn't show up to America and they gave him the empire, right? He built it. Like, there was years of us doing that. And he was a janitor. He still works, he still, he owns the company he worked for. But, so when I saw that show, I was like, this is my story. This is a story about these people who left their families, left their grand, their moms and their children, and they came here, and now here it is, right? And there's still drama. There's still fucking and cheating and betrayals and, you know, money and all that shit. But I love that I was like, this is the first time I've seen my family. You know, here's this gay New Yorker who went to New York because his father sent him away when he came out. You know, like, now he's here to fucking take over the business. Like, all these things are things that I really resonate with. And what have you ever seen on TV a Latino family have Kardashian money who aren't drug dealers? I, I don't think I've ever seen it. So that is this, the whole reason I want to be on the show. Then, as we're, as we're writing it, my boss was really great about allowing us to pitch. Who is your boss? My boss, is, his name is Matthew Lopez, not to be confused with Matthew Lopez is a playwright. Matt is Cuban, and he has written 
like seven highly successful movies. He just uh, adapted Father of the Bride with Andy Garcia and Gloria Stefan. It's about to come out. He did he did movies with Adam Sandler and Carrie Russell. Like he's made big time hundred million dollar kids movies. And then he he wrote this this show which he calls his Latino take or his take on um, uh, East of Eden. Uh, not, not, uh, you know, the Steinbeck. He wanted to do Steinbeck. Um, and I, he always laughs in the room that his Bible is Steinbeck or the Godfather, and my Bible is Cruel Intentions. <laughs> Hi, this is Tanya Pinkins, and you're listening to You Can't Say That on the Broadway Podcast Network. That was part one of my conversation with writer-producer Christopher Oscar Pena. Come back for part two, and... Make sure you listen to my audiobook, Red Pill Unmasked. Thanks for listening to You Can't Say That, the show where you can. I'm Tanya Pinkins, and You Can't Say That is part of the Broadway Podcast Network, produced by Dory Berenstein and Alan Seals, with music by Kat Dale. If you like what you hear, don't forget to subscribe and rate this podcast highly wherever you stream. Follow me on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Tanya Pinkins. And to learn more, visit bpn.fm forward slash YCST. Stay safe. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.